So last week we started uh, a series on preterism, and I discussed what preter preterism is. Uh, tonight I intend to go through what hyperpreterism is and why we're not hyperpreterists. So I put up our little uh, Marty McFly guy there because we're going back to the future because they tend to call us futurists. It doesn't matter that we believe most of the stuff happened in the past because we believe in a future bodily resurrection and the future second coming of Jesus Christ. We're futurists. Okay. So just as a, a quick review, <clears throat> this is the chart that I did last week. So this is the book of Revelation. Everything, all the eschatological positions center on the millennium, right? So when you hear the term pre-millennial, amillennial, post-millennial, it's all focused on the millennium. Pre-millennium means <clears throat> Jesus is coming back before, pre the millennium. Amillennial and post-millennial, it's anywhere in that blue box. Okay, so a pre-post-millennialist, I'm sorry, uh, a post-millennialist and an amillennialist believe that we're somewhere in the millennium and we're waiting for the future second coming of Jesus and the resurrection from the dead and the final judgment. Yeah, that's very important. We're waiting for these things to happen. A preterist believes all of this has taken place. All biblical prophecy has been fulfilled at the terminal point of A.D. 70. Everything was fulfilled at that time. So there's no resurrection, no future resurrection. There's no judgment, future and now. No hell, no Holy Spirit, no devil, no end to history. And death is going to go on and on and on infinitely, forever. Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking about this and saying that goes against everything that we hold to as Christians. And you're right. So this is why we're going to go through it. So first, full preterism, or hyperpreterism, as it's known, insists that every prophecy and every promise in the New Testament, including all of the book of Revelation, was fulfilled already in its entirety by the year A.D. 70. All over. Done. 70 A.D. was the focal point upon which God was, was looking towards, and at the, the destruction of the temple, all the prophecy was fulfilled. This is not a legitical evangelical option. It denies Jesus' future bodily return. It denies the physical resurrection of believers at the end of history. And it denies the physical renewal or recreation of the present heavens and earth or their replacement. Preterists, hyperpreterists, who insist wrongly that these events are all completely fulfilled are called full or hyperpreterists. Okay? So anybody who holds that some of these things are in the past, would be considered preterist if you believe that everything has been fulfilled and there's no future bodily resurrection, no future fulfillment of any prophecy, you're a hyper-preterist. Every other eschatological view with, is within orthodoxy. So you have premillennialists, amillennialists, postmillennialists, even dispensational premillennialism would be orthodox. The reason hyperpreterism isn't orthodox is, be is it because it denies over 30 accepted Christian truths. And I'm going to put up the list later. We're going to hit a couple of them tonight, and we'll look at all of them uh, just so that you see what they are. So again, we're gonna, we have a list of 30. I'm going to try to hit the top three tonight that I think are most important. The first one would be 
denying the bodily resurrection of believers and unbelievers. Now, since I went over this last week, I'm not going to go through it again, but I just wanted to put up that this would be an excellent reason to reject hyperpreterism. If we're not looking forward to the future bodily resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you can rip that out of your Bible. You have to do serious work to redefine everything in that chapter to make it say, oh, no, no, that's not a physical resurrection. That's a spiritual resurrection. And Jesus' body wasn't a real body. It was a different kind of body. So I'm not going to go through all that again, but the ramifications would be this, 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be, res to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So if you don't physically rise from the dead, if there's no future resurrection, Paul says, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Is that a good place to be? No. <laughs> you don't want to be in your sins, right? So the future bodily resurrection of, of believers is essential to Christianity. It's a core tenet of the faith. If what they say is true, they're calling God a liar, and you're still in your sins. There's no hope in that, okay? And biblically, it's just off the reservation. So let's go on to the next one. Second one, most important, denying the humanity of Jesus right now in his mediatorial role, right? We all hold that there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He mediates the new covenant for us. He ever lives to make intercession for us. We believe that Jesus ascended into heaven as a man, is seated at the right hand of, of God the Father as a man in a physical body and is interceding for us. Hyperpreterists believe that Jesus shed his earthly body when he ascended into heaven and was reabsorbed back into the Trinity. He has no human body right now. Now, just as a, an aside, not all hyperpreterists believe that. Some do, some don't. They've got several different views on what happened to Jesus' body. And the reason that is, is because it's a very fractured group. There's no unanimity within the hyperpreterist group that says, well, this is definitely what happened. They all got different ways of explaining it. So let's look at what the Bible says. Hebrew 5, Hebrews 5.7. This is what they'll use. In the days of his flesh... Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. They say, see, when Jesus was on the earth, those were the days of his flesh. He's not in the days of his flesh anymore. 1 Corinthians 15, 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. See, they say, listen, if, if we have to be raised to new life in resurrected bodies, well, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This is, this is why we're, we're raised spiritually, not physically. So here are the ramifications. Jesus is not the God-man. 
This means he would have to have died a second time and cannot act as mediator for mankind. That's serious. So now we're going to answer these two things. Sometimes it's as easy as reading the next verse, right? So he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 51, the very next verse, we shall all be changed. Oh, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. The dead shall be raised imperishable. Now, would you have to say that if that was spiritual? Would you have to say that your spirit is going to be raised imperishable? Isn't spirit imperishable to begin with? Right? So this is saying flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And you're right. That's why this body has to die. <laughs> right? We've received the Holy Spirit and a new heart. That's the deposit of the guarantee for what's to come. Now we have to shed this body and be given a new one to be recreated like Adam, to be recreated like Jesus who came into the world, all right, and wasn't, wasn't sinful. Okay. Romans 8.34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. That says he was raised. Does that say he dissolved? Does that say he reabsorbed back into the Trinity? No, he was raised and is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So the answer to this is Jesus was raised, resurrected, and in his glorified human body right now. Acts 2.27 for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. Holy One being Jesus, corruption being death. If Jesus, as he was ascending into heaven, shed his earthly body, what happened to that body? Did it see corruption? If not, where is it? Right? That's, that's an important thing. And what is, what is death in, in Hebrew mindset? separation. So Jesus, as he ascended, would have had to have died. He separated from his physical body. That means Jesus died twice. No. Jesus was raised, resurrected, and is in his glorified human body right now. Another verse that would help us, 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So now this is Paul writing this to Timothy. Did Paul write this to Timothy before the ascension or after the ascension? Not a trick question. After, right? So Jesus has ascended already. And Paul says the mediator between God and man is the man, Christ Jesus. He's a man interceding for us right now. If we didn't have a man interceding for us, we wouldn't have a savior. So what do you think the answer to this, how would you, you know, answer the preterist with regards to this, if you told them? It's pretty simple. Jesus was raised, resurrected, and in his glorified human body. We got the same answer three times. See a pattern here? Jesus was raised, <laughs> resurrected, and is in his glorified human body. It's as simple as that.
another verse that's going to help us. 1 Timothy 2.8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the offspring of David as what? Preached in my gospel. The gospel includes the humanity of Jesus Christ dying in your place, ascending into heaven, bringing you with him spiritually <clears throat> and interceding for you. If he is not the man, then that's not part of Paul's gospel. Right? How would you respond to a preterist? Jesus was raised, resurrected, and in his glorified human body right now. The ramifications for this is that Jesus is the God-man. He is acting as mediator between God and man, and he has not died a second time. We have a risen Savior. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father right now, interceding for us. Okay? So denying the humanity of Jesus right now in his mediatorial role would be considered heresy. You don't have a Savior. Okay, let's move on. Death and dying, pain and sickness on the hyperpreterism view continue on forever and ever. <clears throat> Sam Frost uh, wrote this in his book, Why I Left Full Preterism. Full preterism teaches that physical death is a natural occurrence, part of God's original pre-fall design for creation. Adam would have eventually died if he never sinned. He simply would have lived out his life in holiness, died, and then gone to heaven. Now, Sam Frost has, he left full preterism, but when he was a preterist, this is what they believe. They believe that when God created humanity, he created humanity knowing humanity was going to die. He didn't create humanity as to be permanent. It was natural that he was going to die. And I spoke to Sam Frost. He says, there's no such thing as dying of natural causes. <laughs> Genesis 3.19, for you are dust and to dust shall you shall return. That's what the hyperpreterist is going to look at. See, we came from the dust and we returned to the dust, forgetting that Returning to the dust is part of the curse. The ramifications, the curse on the earth is never reconciled. The ramification is that God expected humanity to die. And suffering and death will continue on forever and ever. Death will never be conquered and reconciled in a hyperpreterist worldview. That in itself is a death knell. However, God says in 1 Corinthians 15, 25, For he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is the enemy. If God created humanity knowing it was going to die, God created it for the enemy. Death is the enemy of God's plan. Death, death was not the goal. The goal was eternal life. Obviously, in our sinful, fallen condition, we blew that, right? So God, in his mercy and grace, provided a Savior, provided a way out to redeem us from our sins and to restore creation back to its original form. Any questions? Good, okay. <clears throat> so I want you to see now the big picture of God's plan. So we'll see the beginning and the end at the same time. And when you see these, the connections between these scriptures, it should really make you say, wow, 
God is incredible. So we're going to look at, at the cursed earth after the fall, and then we're going to look at the new heavens and new earth in the book of Revelation. So on the cursed earth, the, the ground is cursed, Genesis 3.17. In the redeemed earth, the new heavens and new earth, there is no more curse, Revelation 22.3. The curse has been reconciled. In the cursed earth, there was daily pain. In pain, you will toil and work. New heavens and new earth, no more pain, Revelation 21.4. On the cursed earth, there was sweat on the brow. Revelation 21.4, your tears are wiped away. On the cursed earth, you would eat the plants of the field. In the new heavens and new earth, you're going to eat the 12 manner of fruits. fruits. The fruits and the leaves are going to be for the healing of the nations. Right? So what was cursed in Genesis chapter 3 is redeemed by the time we get to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. God's plan for all eternity was to redeem the earth and all that's in it. In the cursed earth, there was death, you would, and you would return to the dust. In the new heavens and new earth, no more death, Revelation 21.4. Cursed earth, there was evil that would continue uh, on, on forever. Um, God saw that the intention of man's heart was only evil continually. Again, that's a verse that we would memorize for total depravity. Right? He saw that the intention of man's heart was only evil continually. That means all the time. Now, in Revelation, nothing unclean enters the gates of heaven. Right? Nothing unclean. Everything is pure. On the cursed earth, God gave um, coats of animal skins. He made a sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve. In the new heavens and new earth, we're given fine linen, white and clean. We wear, we wear the robe of Jesus Christ while here on earth, but when we get to heaven, we are going to have glorified flesh, right? We have white linen robes clean. We do not have to be covered by the skins of animals. On the cursed earth, there was enmity with Satan. In the new heavens and the new earth, Satan's banished. He's not part of the new heavens and new earth. He's cast into the lake of fire, never to return. We don't have to worry. We, in the cursed earth, because of Adam and Eve's sin, they were kept from the tree of life. And there was a, a, an angel in front of the, guarding it with, with a flaming sword so that they wouldn't go back to it. Now, in the new heavens and the new earth, we have access to the tree of life. No access, access. In, on the cursed earth, Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. In the new heavens and new earth, we enter through the city gates. Right? You see how God ties up every single loose end that the fall caused? Right? Everything, every issue that the fall brought about is ultimately reconciled by God. And one of the cool verses in Revelation says, and the, the gates will be left wide open. Anybody know why the gates will be left wide open? What were the gates designed to do? Say again. Protect, to keep enemies out. Why are the gates left wide open? No enemies left. Praise God. Praise God. Redemption promised in uh, 3.15. It's the first mention of the gospel. I'm going to send one who's going to crush the head of Satan. 
Reve uh, Revelation 5, 9, and 10, redemption accomplished. He purchased men out of every tongue, every tribe, every language, every nation. He purchased them and redeems them. So this is not a, a, a story that's going to go on ad infinitum with death and sickness and pain and sweat and toil. There's an end to that. Okay, On the hyperpreterist system, that's going to go on forever and ever. Think about the atrocities that are be, being committed in the world today. That's going to go on forever and ever. Yes? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus dealt with both. He purchased everything. He came back in John chapter 1. Uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us, tabernacled among us. Right? So it, 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 it imitates Genesis 1-1 in the beginning. Jesus in John chapter 1-1, it's a new beginning. Jesus in the beginning. All right. Uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Jesus comes to earth to bring about the renewal of the heavens and the earth. It started already. He brought his kingdom here. The kingdom's going to continually grow. Now, yes, we're going to still suffer from death, but at the point in time when he comes back, we're looking forward to the consummation of all things, where our, where our, earth, where our body's going to be resurrected and and we receive our, our, our spirit's going to be in a, a glorified physical body and we will live on the earth again. Did you have a question? Yeah, yeah again. Everything. Yes. Exactly. So we see, the, we see the kingdom of God coming to earth and growing, right? Right now we're seeing things shrink because of what's going on in the world, but that's God purifying his church, right? It's an ebb and flow. Okay, pastor usually describes it like the stock market. You know, the stock goes up a couple of days and then down, up a couple of days and then down, maybe down a little bit more. Over the course of time, the kingdom of God is growing on the earth. It's like the mustard seed. Okay, that although it's the smallest seed is going to grow and become the biggest tree on the earth. Right. That's that's what we're told. So the ramifications for believing what the Bible says is that the curse of death is reconciled. Praise God. Death was God's enemy. It wasn't God's plan. And death will be destroyed forever. So we will not have to worry about ongoing death. Death is not going to uh, intrude on God's kingdom. It's going to be done forever. Okay. These are, I'm going to go through the 30 things that you have to abandon as a Christian in order to hold the hyperpreterism. You have to abandon the bodily resurrection of Jesus. You have to abandon the bodily resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. So there won't be a future judgment of both. You have to abandon the full humanity of Jesus in his current mediatorial role. We did that. The bodily second coming of Jesus to earth, not going to happen. The progressive sanctification of believers. As a hyperpreterist, if you're saved now, right, and Jesus has changed your heart, you don't, you don't go from justification, sanctification, to glorification. 
There is no more sanctification there, because there is no more law. The law is gone, and we'll get to that. You go right from justification to glorification. You're glorified now. Totally. Totally. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not in my glorified body. Oh, gosh. All right, let me move on. The future judgment of believers. There is no future judgment. How would you... I mean, how could you possibly go around preach the gospel to people and say, listen, you know, repent of your sins, trust in Jesus. Why? Well, there is no judgment. I don't know why. I mean, what do you tell people? I really would like to know how they preach the gospel. What gospel are they preaching? Everything's fulfilled. There's, there's nothing to look forward to except your spiritual ride to, to heaven where you're going to live ethereally forever. <clears throat> the future and final judgment day. The last day, John chapter 6, I will raise them all on the last day. In their view, the last day happened. Past. The existence of eternal hell. This is big. Hell, as per Revelation 20, was cast into the lake of fire with Satan and the angels. There is no more hell. So if you, let's say you don't accept their gospel, you're just going to end up going into the ground and die. Nothing happens to your soul. There's no punishment. There's no more hell. That's giving unbelievers a license to do whatever they want. The future casting of death and Hades into the lake of fire, like I just said, that's over. The atonement is for Gentiles. It was, the atonement is, is not for Gentiles, that should say. It was only for Old Covenant Israel. Gentiles don't need blood atonement. Why? Because the Mosaic Covenant was for Israel only. It wasn't for Gentiles. Gentiles are not part of the Mosaic Covenant. It was in the Mosaic Covenant that God had set up the sacrificial system. As a Gentile, you don't need blood atonement. That's not your covenant. Really? I'd like to let them know that Abraham wasn't a Gentile. I wasn't an Israelite. Abraham was a Gentile. Adam was a Gentile. Israel didn't exist until Jacob. Right. What did God do when Adam and Eve fell? He slayed an animal, covered them with, with the animal skins. That's a blood atonement. Right? What did Abraham do? God told Abraham to bring his son up the hill to what? Sacrifice him. And then Abraham, obviously Abraham didn't. He was going to. He saw the ram in the thicket. He says, God himself will provide the sacrifice. The sacrificial system or the sacrifice for atonement was well before the Mosaic Covenant. Right? The Mosaic Covenant inscripturated it. It put it down on I'll say paper, but it was rock, right? Scrolls, right? <clears throat> so that they had something to go by. This, the law was uh, put in, into act to be a, um, a schoolmaster to lead them to Christ. It was, a, it was a picture of what goes on in the heavenlies. Like you walk into the sacrificial system. You have to lay down your sacrifice. Uh, they cut it, the priests cut it open. They take out the blood. They take out all the fat and entrails. They wash it. Now you have to go into the Holy of Holies to make the blood atonement. Right? This was all a picture of, of what Jesus would do for us. You have to uh, reject the physical ramifications of the death of Adam. It was spiritual only. As God created man to die, that was expected. Death is an intruder to God's plan. It was never what God intended for Adam. The account in Genesis one, being about a physical creation, it's a covenantal metaphor about God and man. 
They keep calling it the creation covenant, where God created a heavens and an earth. And heavens and earth in their vernacular is Israel and the land. They believe that Adam and Eve weren't the first people on the earth. There were people before Adam and Eve. God chose Adam and Eve and started a new covenant with them. Again, you have to redefine everything you ever learned about Christianity in order to accept hyperpreterism. Yes? Don Preston. Don Preston is like the king. There's also a guy named Max King um, who is prominent in the hyperpreterist circles. You, if you go online and type you know, full preterism or hyperpreterism, you'll see all the boards. If you go into Facebook, type preterism, you'll see all, all the boards. So more things you have to give up. The command to be fruitful and multiply. There's not supposed to be marriage in the regeneration, right? See, some people are inconsistent preterists. They say that there's not supposed to be marriage in the regeneration, but then they get married. Why? No marriage. You won't be married or given in marriage, right? Because that's, that's the, the part of the, we see it as part of the not yet. They see it as the already. So if that's happened, why are you getting married? It's called cognitive, cognitive dissonance, holding two opposing views in your mind at the same time. There's no urgency to evangelize and fulfill the Great Commission. Why? It's been fulfilled. The existence of the enemies of God and death has put, been put under Jesus' feet already. You believe that? I think Jesus has a lot more enemies that he's putting under his feet, and he's waiting for us to do our job. The existence and activity of Satan and the demons in the world. That's gone. Satan doesn't prowl around like a lion waiting to pounce on, the, on, on somebody. Now, we hold... As if you're amillennial or postmillennial, we hold that Satan's bound. He's limited in his power. He can't deceive the nations anymore because the gospel has gone out to the Gentiles. Uh, we have the resurrection to point to that, yes, Jesus died for Jews and Gentiles. Okay, <clears throat> They say he's gone completely because he's in the lake of fire. The presence and activity of the Holy Spirit in the world. The Holy Spirit's not active in the world. He's only active in heaven. The existence of the church, including pastors and teachers. Isn't that funny? Their pastors and teachers are teaching this. Oh, it's self-defeating. The Apostle Paul's belief in the bodily resurrection as a Pharisee. He didn't believe, well, I mean, he believed it, but the resurrection's over. The church is striving towards the unity of the faith, right? We're, we're, we're striving towards maturity so that the church as a unit, would all hold to the same things. Now, the very fact that he's arguing, a preterist would argue with us about this particular doctrine, proves that we have not reached maturity in the faith. We can't both be right. So how can we be unified if we disagree on the bodily resurrection, if we disagree on Jesus' physical body interceding for us? We disagree on major Christian doctrines, 30 closely held Christian truths. How is that unity of the faith? It's not. The celebration of the Lord's Supper until he comes again. Go figure. If the Lord came again, why are you still celebrating communion? We celebrate the Lord's death until he comes. Well, now they call it a memorial. It's a memorial for what happened. Well, that's not what the scripture says. We celebrate this until he comes. Guess what? 
When Jesus comes on the last day, we're going to be eating at the wedding supper of the Lamb. We're not going to celebrate communion anymore. We're going to be with him in his physical presence. The restoration of the earth to its pre-fall condition. The earth is just going to continue to you know, go on the way it is in Romans 8. It groans, longing for the sons of God to be revealed. It's never going to stop groaning. The curse on the earth is never dealt with. The restoration of our earthly bodies. Again, we're not getting resurrected bodies. The future consummation of all things. They say that's happened at A.D. 70. Everything was fulfilled and completed at A.D. 70. The future glorification of our bodies. Once again, we've gone through that ad infinitum, right? A couple of more things. The resurrection of Jesus has both physical and spiritual importance, right? On their view, it's only spiritual. On our view, it's both. What is a human being? Let me ask you that. What's a human being? Yes. Body and soul. Are they are there human beings? Are there saints that have gone on before us that are true human beings in the presence of God right now? No. No, they're not human beings. So what God created to represent him here on earth is never going to be accomplished. Right? He he put Adam and Eve to be his vice regents, to represent him to the world around us. The creation those six days are, are like a uh, God's creating a temple. The first three days he makes spaces. The next three days he fills them. On the, the sixth day he puts in uh, a picture of himself, Adam and Eve, to, to um, represent him on the earth that he created. And it never happens on their view. On our view, we get to Revelation. We see the new heavens and the earth. It's completely restored. The New Testament was written to the present church right now. That's not true. The New, the New Testament was written to the, to the readers before A.D. 70 because it only pertained to them. It doesn't pertain to us. I mean, we can learn from it. We can glean from it. But it was written to them. They're the ones who have to uh, maintain the unity of the faith. They're the ones who have to obey Jesus. We, I mean, we have to obey him. We listen, but none of that is happening right now again the, the great commission is fulfilled takes the 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 um the effort off of us right the church is the glorified body of christ they can't say that right because what is a glorified body it's a resurrected physical body that's raised imperishable they don't have that they're just spirit beings the future fulfillment of any biblical prophecies. The believer's entrance into heaven before A.D. 70. Okay, They weren't able to get into heaven until A.D. 70, according to them. The existence of salvation for people today. I don't know what kind of gospel it is that they preach, and that's probably something that I'm going to look into for next week. The meek will inherit the earth. No, you won't. <laughs> you're going to be in heaven forever. That's where you're going. Right? You're never going to step foot on the earth again. Sin is inherited from Adam. They don't believe in, in original sin. The end of sin on the earth, it will always exist in his fallen state. Jesus failed to take dominion. If Jesus took dominion of everything, then everything would be made new. Jesus obviously hasn't taken dominion because the earth is going to 
exist on in its fallen state forever. That's not a savior you can trust. That's not a savior who, who can accomplish what he set out to accomplish. He came to make all things new. All things new means heaven's earth, right? Okay, so to wrap this up, no orthodox Christian is a preterist with regards to the resurrection of the just and the unjust. All orthodox Christians believe that that's a future event that we're waiting to happen, waiting for it to happen. Jesus is the God-man. All orthodox Christians, orthodox preterists, believe that Jesus is fully God, fully man right now and is seated at the right hand of God the Father interceding for his people. No orthodox Christian is a preterist with, with regards to death and sin continuing on forever and ever. Orthodox Christians believe that death will be conquered and sin will come to a final and complete end. There will be no more sin. In fact, that's one of the things I'd like to ask the full preterist. If he's in his glorified body right now, do you still sin? If you still sin, then there's a potential to sin when you're in heaven. Again, nothing impure is going to enter into heaven. But if you're sinning here and you're in your glorified, perfected body, what's going to stop you from sinning there? Holding the above events as having taken place already is heretical. This is a position that must be rejected. Can't, can't accept these things. You can't throw out these 30 accepted Christian truths and still be called a Christian. As a full preterist, you can be a full preterist, just don't call yourself a Christian. You're not. You need, you, your whole, all of the doctrines have been redefined. Call it something else. Don't call it Christianity. Any questions? Yes. Not a question, just a comment. Sure. Listening to this lesson was extremely frustrating because I feel like, I understand maybe someone being deceived, but to open-eyed, like, go into this and accept all those things, you have to, like, stick your head in the sand and ignore the whole Bible. It's like, how do you, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I know. One of the things that they look for, they look for all the time texts, and, and we do, we do too. We see that the time is near, the time is at hand, He's coming soon. And they look at those things and they say, okay, those must have been taken place, have taken place already because he said soon and near, right? Uh, Daniel, when he's, when the angel appears to him and he's told to uh, roll up the scroll for the time is far off, right? The church, that would happen about 600 years before Christ. So 600 years is far off. In, in, in Daniel's time frame, right? So we get here now, John writes the book of Revelation and says these things must soon take place. Well, soon must be less than 600 years. And in certain cases, he's right, of course. We're, we're preterists with regards to Matthew 24. Some are on the fence with Matthew 25. We see, though, that there will be a future second coming because we, we see Jesus talking about the last day, right? They will come to me, and I will raise them up on the last day. Now, if the last day took place, we would have expected to see risen bodies, right, of the just and the unjust. That's, that's the death knell for them, because their definition of resurrection is different than ours. It's not physical. It's spiritual only. But why do I need to be uh, spiritually resurrected when I'm born again already? What's being resurrected? 
and what is being resurrected for the dead person, uh, for the unbeliever. His spirit is dead. Are you now going to bring his spirit alive? If that's the case, then the person's born again. If not, <clears throat> what is resurrection on that view? You have to completely redefine everything, and it's a slow process. And just like every other cult, it sucks people in, right? You, got, you, you have to know your scriptures. You have to be careful in going through them. They, they like to say it's all about the scriptures. It's all about the scriptures. Yet, most of them, I don't know a one that's, that knows Greek and Hebrew like a scholar. They loved Sam Frost because he was the first guy who was getting his Ph.D. and knew the languages. Well, as he's studying hyperpreterism, he recognizes this is wrong and backs out. When he backed out, he got a backlash uh, from, the, from the full preterist group. They were ripping into him. I mean, mocking him, belittling him. They still do. And he's used it as a platform to preach the true gospel. And he's getting through to some people and getting people out of the movement. Because now he was fully immersed in it. He knows the language, he knows Greek, he knows Hebrew, and he shows them from the languages how they're wrong. I, I texted him with regards to this, and that's how I got that quote. He's a good guy. I, I saw him do a debate um, about five or six years ago at a church in Malvern. So, very good guy. Strong Calvinist, good brother. He's, he's, he's a guy we want on our side. God used him to be in that movement, <clears throat> pull him out, and now he can reach them with their language and show them how it's an effort and futility. But yes, it's difficult. Yes, Al. So, <clears throat> what do they say a thousand years is? Is it like a thousand years, a couple of months? <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's a really good question. And I haven't, I haven't asked them that, but I did think about that because obviously, you know, we're always debating, oh, is it a thousand years, a thousand years, or is it a longer period of time? Nobody, no orthodox Christian has ever said, hey, is a thousand years less than a thousand years? <laughs> like, is it 30, 40 years? <laughs> no, nobody's ever gone the other way. You know, with premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial, you know, we're like, well, it's either, a, it's got to be a thousand, exactly a thousand years. No, a thousand years is like a day. No, it's a long period of time. I mean, I think we settled that issue, in my, in my mind at least I did, but we're never going the opposite way. We're either thinking it's a real thousand years or more, never less. I, and I don't know how they, they grapple with that. Maria? No, 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 no. This is this this doesn't discriminate. It it it's you know, it could be in any time. Preterism just means that certain things are past. Hyperpreterism means everything is past. So we would disagree with certain people, premillennialists, amillennialists, and postmillennialists disagree on some of the details, but we all agree that there is still a future, that there are pastors and teachers in the church that the Holy Spirit is active on the earth today, that there is a future judgment, there is a future bodily resurrection, there is a future, there is a hell. But um, my question is, like, do we find any hyper-predators coming out of, like, other areas of theology? Pastor said that uh, he's, he seems to believe that those who hold to New Covenant theology 
It might be a tendency because they 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 don't hold they don't have a high view a high as high a view of the law as some other groups because they don't honor the Sabbath. So they say that that part of the law, you know, doesn't apply to us anymore. And once you go down that road, you could start to slide into antinomianism that where there is no law, there is no sin. You know, we're not under the law; we're under grace. We haven't done that because it's such a ridiculous position. It's it's a minority group, but it's 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 like it's like the gnat, you know, the gnat bites you and you're scratching it. So when that flares up, we address it, like we're addressing it now. <laughs> 